This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Cholly. Today we're talking China and Nixon. (laughs) Only joking. Apologies if you tried to download yesterday's podcast and got Monday's podcast. Hopefully it's all sorted out. So Monday was China and Nixon. Uh, Yesterday was Emmanuel Macron's moment. Today, of course, it is Wednesday, so it must be PMQ's unpacked. Tim Shipman and I pausing the action from the House of Commons to analyse in real time what's going on. Don't forget, you can, of course, watch along on YouTube live as well uh, for midday on the Times Radio YouTube channel if you are able to. But it's good. It's nice to have you. Lots of people, while I've been on the stand up tour, have said they really like listening to PMQ's unpacked on the podcast. So welcome along. Uh, right, uh, before that, though, as ever, it's our columnist panel. And on a Wednesday, it's the duo known as Alibert. Yes, it's Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton. Pupils who fail their maths and English GCSEs will be banned from taking out student loans under new government plans. Mm. Uh, Robert, what do you make of this? Well, they're trying to crack down on uh, so-called, you know, worthless degrees, and I think I have some sympathy with that. I think, you know, too many people... for the best of intentions, we're now sending too many people to university, more than there are people who are academically inclined, I think. Uh, and that has a... Uh, it's supposed to help the economy, but I suspect it hinders it uh, when uh, with these numbers because you get then get shortages of people in uh, more practical jobs, which is what some people who are at university probably should be doing. Uh this doesn't seem to be the way to go about it, though, because it just seems to it just seems to penalise less privileged people who would be applying for a loan. Because if you're rich and you fail your maths and English uh, GCSE, you can go anyway without a loan. So I don't see why they don't just increase. I, mean, won- yeah, I suppose you'd have to be quite very rich to be able to cope without your student loan, wouldn't you? Because this, well, this is this is no, not. But you can also get fees, a tutor, can't you? Then I mean, yeah. the very yeah, rich yeah, will yeah. get tutors and will finally get through and get there for. I don't five. know why they don't just increase the academic entry standard, yeah. rather than make it about money. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Uh, also, I just think there they- are quite a lot of you know. I remember interviewing Paul Nurse, who went to university. 50 years ago, who's the Nobel Prize winner, and he couldn't pass his French O-level. And in those Ooh. days, you had to get a French O-level to get into university. So he couldn't go to university, didn't go for three yeah. or four years, until someone picked him up in a lab and said, actually, you know, you're quite bright. And then he yeah. went on and got first. So I think it's quite 
tough. I'd, I'd much prefer it if they looked at people properly. And as Robert said, they looked at the courses and thought, are the courses worthwhile? Mm. They should always make exceptions for children who've come from difficult backgrounds or who've had extenuating or, circumstances. Or, or who aren't very good students. at maths like me. Yeah, or who are rubbish <laughs> at maths. I, I only just, it's O-level in my day and I only just got it. And But I remember, I think my, my wife had to retake maths, I think. Mm. Uh, in order to do the course that she wanted, and I, 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 there's, it strikes me there's nothing inherently wrong with saying it. Getting almost everyone to eventually pass English and maths is not a bad thing. They have tried that though, and actually, what happens is there's a seventeen percent rate each time. Some people are. Uh, of actually then getting past the, the pass rate. So actually, I think some people then tr- will try four or five, six times and won't get it. And by that stage, it's mm. too late. Yeah. And if they're doing a design course, maybe they'll need it. But if they're doing an art course, I yeah. thought you wouldn't need it, actually. You know, I, I knew up a certain number of people with dyslexia who were just not, they were never going yeah, yeah, yeah. to pass English, but they're going to be great artists or photographers or whatever. But then I suppose there's an argument for then saying, if you're if you can't pass it, is how are you going? How well are you then going to do at university? Well, if you're doing an art, depends on your course, doesn't it? Mm. I suppose so. Depends on your course. Well, there we are. Um, I think we, I'm glad we sorted that out. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about your column today, Alice. The joy of childbirth is being ousted by fear. Well, I was just very struck by this woman who gave birth during Storm Eunice uh, in a, at a roundabout in Felixstowe. And her husband was the only person there. He screeched to a halt. She said, it's coming. And he had to battle open the door. And then he took out her overnight bag that she'd packed, got the, the dressing gown cord, and then used that to help give birth. And at the end of it all, which is fairly traumatic, I thought, yeah. at the end of it all, she Great said... Great story, though. Fantastic. I mean, as it, as it, you know, it all turned out right at the end. Apart from she wouldn't call the baby Eunice. I was going to say, is the baby that obviously... <laughs> no, it's Florence. It's called Roundabout. Uh, or Gladys. <laughs> <laughs> or Gladys is the next one, isn't it? But it was, what amazed me is that she said she was euphoric, that she said actually it had been fantastic and an amazing experience. And you never hear that anymore. No one is allowed to say that childbirth is anything other than yeah, absolutely yeah. hideous and ghastly and dreadful. And it is in some ways, but there is also a moment when you think, actually, in some ways it can be some of the most extraordinary moments of your life. And, you know, I've had four children, although... I can't even remember what I went through. <laughs> I do see them as four of the most amazing moments of my life. And I do remember that moment afterwards when I'd actually done it. And you thought, my God, I've actually got a child. Apparently your body deliberately forgets the it pain does. of childbirth because otherwise nobody would have more no, you than one. You'd do it again. Yeah. But I suppose, you, you're right. Cause we were talking about, did we talk about this last week? About um, the... Oh, we, were talked, we definitely discussed it with somebody on the show last week. I about wasn't here. I'd the... Uh, the, 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 the trying to guide people away from, uh, cese- you know, towards caesareans and, and stop this whole idea of natural births and everyone's worrying about their, you know, Spotify playlist and scented candles yeah. and all of that. And if all that doesn't happen, then you've sort of failed in some way. And actually, it turns out you can have a, you can have a fun birth on a exactly. roundabout. And actually, I don't think there should be any set way of doing it. So I don't think you should feel that was a failure point, in I think. any way at all. And yeah. that's what the NHS do. They, they have these very set targets, which they finally got rid of. But of how many people are allowed to have caesareans, rather yeah, than saying yeah. what's safe, what do people need, what do women need. You know, they, were, they were told they had to hit these targets, which seemed completely the wrong and way around. And all that sort of too posh to push stuff. And, mm. you know, yeah, they're, they're actually, ultimately having a healthy baby is the yeah. is the number one priority. and you shouldn't feel a failure before you've even started exactly and all that pressure that people put themselves on you know treating it like a wedding day it's not it's a it's, yeah. a, it's an appalling medical 
thing you're going to go through. My kids were, we're, we're, my kids are they're 25, the eldest now, and so they were at the beginning of this with the whole scented candles, and we we yeah. we, we fell for this and drew up the whole list, <laughs> a wish list with a with a you know a, filling up a paddling pool and all that. And when it came to it, my wife just said, "Give me the drugs." You know? <laughs> exactly, that was me. Yeah. I do remember my second baby, my going to the hospital and saying, "This is the best day of my life." It was honestly, this will be the second best day of my life, yeah. and him saying you've completely forgotten how awful it was. And there is yeah. a sense that men actually do see more, probably, than the woman sees. That, 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 you know, it is quite scarring, probably, in some ways. The only thing I really remember is because um, uh, my wife had uh, had a, her first daughter with her first husband, and all she just said that he just kept drinking cups of tea, and the midwives kept coming and giving him cups of tea, and she wasn't getting anything. Yeah. And so I just said, well, I'm not going to do that. So, I, honestly, it went on for hours parched. And oh. every time they came and said, do you want a cup of tea? I said, oh, no, no, thank you. Thinking, I'm not, I'm not going to get told off. Of- I started having some of the gas and air. When she, when she moved up, <laughs> when, she, when, Nicola, when Nicola moved on to the hard stuff, I said, oh, is that gas and air hanging about free? And had, had a bit. It was quite good. Was it good? Yeah. But I was, and I was over 30 as well. Were you? Mm. Well, you Did you faint for the epidural? My husband had fainted at the epidural. He had to leave the room. Wow. I didn't notice it. <laughs> I was, like, desperate by that stage. Well, the, the thing I really remember was uh, at the end, they took Alison off to um, surgery, and I was just... Le- they literally just left me holding the baby. Yeah. I said, what the hell am I supposed to do now? Yeah, I mean, that's the point that you make, I think, in how little back uh, kind of backup there is afterwards you are yeah. just thought, we'd went from there being like the half a dozen people in yeah. the room to literally yeah. just me and then it, think, somebody came in and said oh you need to put a nappy on it yeah. and I was like well, okay here you are <laughs> well the Germans like, no you've yeah. got to do what it. you say about the Germans, the Germans and the French. are yeah. sensational they give you eight weeks with someone who comes yeah. around and tidies up your house I mean we yeah. had nothing really and, and no. it makes you feel much better and that they, they take it very seriously they have yeah, a special yeah. word for it and you, you bond with this woman who's also given birth or man yeah. but you know, actually it seems a much more relaxed sophisticated system than we've managed to achieve here. Yeah, that, that, that was probably the most terrifying moment. Literally going, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? And then yeah. I'm saying, no, it's your job now. It's like, what? Well, I know. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm grown up. We've got the receipt. We can take this back. <laughs> Next um, 25 years. We're talking of uh, being grown up. Um, yeah, this story that young people who use drugs but quit before adulthood or on average not harming their future life chances. Mm. You can take drugs until you're 30 and it's all fine, apparently. I think that's very difficult for parents. I mean, if I was looking at that 30 years ago, I thought, great. Whereas now, I'm looking at it thinking, I've now got to sell to my children. Yeah. Don't take drugs. But actually, if you do take them, fine. You'll be all right. You'll be okay. Right. You me thinks, if you're still taking drugs in your 30, grow up. Yeah. And for this sake. Yeah, and <laughs> if you want to have a job, quite complicated. Yeah. I'd have thought, I mean, I think it's quite a late cut-off. But, uh, you know, and also, you may be fairly addicted by the time you get to And 30. it depends what they are as well. I mean, mm. people think... I mean, I, uh, cannabis is not what, what it... What it was, it's now really powerful. In some cases, psychotic drug, and it can be. Yeah, it can really have got you by the. I mean, I, I know, I know people. I think we probably all do who who, who smoke too much. Yeah, of that in their twenties, and they are not. Danny Finkelstein. Danny is a case in point. <laughs> Oliver Cam is another one. Who uh, they're they're not as intellectual. They haven't got the intellect yeah, that no, they once had. Completely, they're fried. Completely do Larry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just imagine what they could have been like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, now I remember when I first moved to London, I lived with a guy who was in his 30s who took a lot of drugs. And coming home at like 2 o'clock in the morning, putting the Minder theme tune on it, full blast. They, bo- they tend to be really quite Grow boring, up. don't they? are boring. Up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're not still in touch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> talking of people who need to grow up, um, you've read Boris Johnson's book. Yeah, twice, for my sins. You've reread it? Yeah, for the, for the books pages. Uh, it came out in 2004, if, if readers, ca- uh, listeners cast their minds back to 72 Virgins, it was called. It was, he's written several books, but this is his only novel to date, comic thriller. Neither very comic nor very thrilling, I have to say. And also, what struck me was just the inaccuracies in it. <laughs> really? 
Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I would have thought, Airy Neve, for instance, tragically assassinated just before the 1979 election, I'd have thought that a loyal Tory and a student uh, of politics would have known that he was killed by the Irish National Liberation Army as opposed to the Irish Republican Army. It was something that was noted at the time. And Boris just gaily gets that wrong. Uh, he also thinks it's 10 miles from uh, Palace of Westminster to Highbury, where he used to live. It's actually 4.8. And this sounds like nitpicking, but it kind of makes you think, well, if he can't really be bothered with getting those facts right uh, in his book, what else is he? And I mean, also, we know he's not a detail man, but... Robert gets all the facts right. In fact, we know that he obviously didn't take any drugs before 30 because it is really on point. You even tell us how mm. far a bullet goes when you... Yeah, I researched it, yeah. I mean, not that I was looking to find mistakes or anything like that. I mean, I was, I was just... Uh, I was sitting there poring over this book and Robin Millen, the book said, to say, you're doing God's work, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> how... Uh, is, it, is it any good as a story? Not particularly, no. I mean, it's all right. What it's is great. the plot for people who don't... Uh, the plot is a bunch of sort of hapless... Uh, Islamist bombers uh, plan to kidnap and then assassinate the American president whilst on a state visit to Parliament. And it is foiled... Uh, by Boris, haplessly by a tousle-head, bicycle-riding, backbench Conservative MP. Who, who doesn't possibly... Who, doesn't, who admits himself that he does not believe in, in anything. And that's the other striking thing about the book. It's, it's entirely cynical. I mean, there's no... I mean, he makes fun of everything. Uh, makes fun of the special relationship. Makes fun of poor old Black Rod and Silver Stick. Uh, which, coming from some in a party that's supposed to... I mean, they're eminently there to be made fun of, I, I guess. Yeah, but yeah. he's, you know, it's not a very Tory thing to do. And uh, it just makes you think, insofar as you can identify Boris with the, with the authorial yeah, yeah. voice, then he doesn't really believe him very much at all. <laughs> Who knew? Alice, have you ever done one of these re-reading... Things for the books pages. Yes, and I have now completely forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> it just, was so good. But I have to say, it wasn't anything as good as yours. That, that was it. It was the Ooh. leopard. I did. Oh uh, yeah. Um, but actually, I think yours was the best so far. I have Thank to you. say, I just I read it and reread it, and I thought it is probably Boris's manifesto, and it's we've all overlooked mm. it, but we should all be asked to read it at school. And then we it's, should act on it because that is that is Boris in the end. It, it? is yeah, instructive. Yeah. People say that you can you can hide the truth in nonfiction, but in fiction it always kind of yeah, yeah, it always yeah, comes yeah, through. It, yeah. Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton there, of course, you can read them both in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is PMQ's Unpacked. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. PNQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yes, it's that time of the week where we go live to the House of Commons to pause the action. Um, what do we expect to come out at PMQs today? Is it all going to be Russia? It may not all be, but you would think it was odd if Starmer didn't lead with Russia. Um, not least because it's a great opportunity for him to show that he's not Jeremy Corbyn and that he basically agrees with the government's approach. But I think uh, the sanctions package that Boris Johnson announced yesterday has given the opposition plenty of scope to attack him from the do more uh, camp, I would think. It's, it's quite a sweet spot for uh, Keir Stummett in that he can criticise Boris Johnson for not going further, he can attack the Conservatives for taking money from uh, Russian oligarchs and kick Jeremy Corbyn at the same time for his slightly lacklustre response All to... with the flail of one boot. Exactly right, exactly right. But they, the danger, of course, with something that straightforward is that it looks like an open goal and if you don't plant the ball in the middle of it, um, some people on your own side will... Uh, question that. Well, before we get to Keir Starmer, uh, Boris Johnson kicking off uh, PMQs today with a short statement on uh, Britain's approach to sanctions. Let's take a listen. Uh, Mr Speaker, I can announce to the House that in light of the increasingly threatening behaviour from Russia and in line with our previous support, the UK will shortly be providing a further package of military support to Ukraine. This will include lethal aid in the form of defensive weapons and non-lethal aid. Mr Speaker, I'm sure the whole House will want to join me in congratulating Team GB's curling teams for winning gold and silver medals at the Winter Olympics. And Mr Speaker, I know that members across the House will want to offer condolences to the family and friends of our former colleague, Sir Richard Shepherd, who sadly died earlier this week. He served as the MP for Aldridge Brownhills for 36 years. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. David Johnson. OK, let's just pause it there. So uh, we had the sanctions yesterday, military support today. Yeah, and if uh, you're a cynic, which we both are, you would say that Boris Johnson wanted to get that out at the top, so he's got something to use himself during this uh, session. Um, Labour parties tend to be less enthusiastic about uh, sending uh, lethal aid. Um, defensive weapons can often be turned around and pointed in an offensive way. Um, and there'll be some on the Labour benches who don't like the sound of that. So it'd be interesting to see how Starmer, uh, whether Starmer backs that um, enthusiastically or not, um, and what effect that has on the people sitting behind him. So it's, uh, it's a clever move by Johnson to announce it at the top, but uh, quite exactly what it means. Um, will get scrutinised later. Because, crucially, it's not a member of NATO, Ukraine, so our commitment to sort of boots on the ground is not the same as it might be if it's somewhere else. No, that's right. And Britain's been trying to take a sort of a leading role in providing uh, what they call lethal aid. Um, some of the Baltic countries have tried to do so as well. And if you speak to ministers at the moment, you don't have to get very far into your conversation before they start muttering and moaning about the fact that the French and the Germans have uh, not done that. Um, Germany's had quite a bit of grief um, over the last couple of weeks, the French uh, a bit less so, but uh, I think there's some ministers who think uh, France as the other major military power in Europe might uh, put its uh, hand in its pocket and send some, uh, send some uh, weapons to Ukraine as well. 
Well, here we go then. Uh, this is PMQ's Unpacked. You can watch along on the YouTube channel. Stephen is in Taunton. Glenn is in northwest London. Uh, doesn't Matt look relaxed today? I don't know what that means. Uh, someone else is uh, tuning in from Lithuania. Terry in Salford. Somebody's in Romsey, the Cotswolds, Portugal. New York, no less. Welcome aboard, everyone. Uh, go online, let us know where you are listening and watching along. Let's go to the comments. For question one from Keir Starmer. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join with the comments of the Prime Minister in relation to Sir Richard Shepherd? Mr Speaker, we all want to deter aggression in Europe. We're not dealing with breakaway republics. Putin is not a peacekeeper. A sovereign nation has been invaded. Yeah. The Prime Minister promised that in the event of an invasion, he would unleash a full package of sanctions. Yeah. If not now, then when? Prime Minister, Mr Speaker, as I said, uh, the UK has been out in uh, front uh, in offering military support to to Ukraine and I'm grateful for what he said yesterday about the need uh, to make sure that we uh, keep ammunition in reserve for what could be a a protracted struggle over this issue. But there has been in no doubt about the extent of the package that has already been uh, set out yesterday and, and what we are already doing. Because, Mr Speaker, I don't think people quite realise uh, that the UK is out in front. We've sanctioned 275 individuals already. Uh, yesterday we announced measures uh, that place banks uh, worth £37 billion, worth £37 billion under sanctions in addition uh, to more oligarchs. And, Mr Speaker, there is more to come and we will be we will be stopping russia we will be stopping russia from raising sovereign debt stopping companies russian companies from raising money and stopping russian uh, russian companies as i said yesterday even clearing uh, in sterling and dollars on on international markets uh, mr speaker that will hit putin where it hurts but it is absolutely vital that after this first barrage. Uh, we work in lockstep with friends and allies around the world. And we squeeze him simultaneously. We squeeze him simultaneously in London, in Paris, in New York at the same time. Unity, Mr Speaker, is absolutely vital. Yeah. OK, let's uh, pause it there. Uh, a lot of words from Boris Johnson, a lot, a lot of detail on, on what it might be. And it seems, Tim Shepard, there's a, there's, a, there's a reasonable criticism that if you basically... Uh, uh, put everyone on warning, on watch, that we might come after you soon, that gives them a chance to get their assets, their money out of the UK? Yes, clearly. And um, once again, I think what surprised a lot of MPs, including a lot of Tories yesterday, was that, once again, Boris Johnson's um, aggressive rhetoric was not matched by the substance. But then, you know, there was a a defence there, which uh, is something that Labour often demands, working with allies, um, and he's making the point that... We need to move in concert with the US and the EU. And clearly the, the EU in all these matters is often the sheet anchor on moving quickly um, because they've got a lot of uh, interests with the Russians. Um, but you're right. Um, people will be sceptical about this. And, you know, people said if a toe crossed the border, then they'd get hit hard. And instead, you know, one of the analysts um, at one of the think tanks compared this to tickling Putin's toes um, yesterday. Um, clearly there's more coming. But, you know, Boris Johnson talks about those banks and about those individuals who've been uh, sanctioned. Um, 
you know, I read some stuff yesterday suggesting that some of the people we sanctioned yesterday, the Americans had sanctioned in 2018. Yeah. Um, so we've merely caught up with them. We've caught it. It doesn't seem like we're moving together. We're just, yeah, catching up in, in some parts. Uh, we should also point out, you heard both Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer paying tribute to uh, Sir Richard Shepherd. Uh, he was a Conservative MP from 1979 to 2015, and we heard, uh, we got the news yesterday that sadly uh, he um, had died at the age of 79. Uh, so uh, just that was uh, that was who they were referring to. Right, let's go back to the House of Commons then. Question number two from Keir Starmer. I hear what the Prime Minister says about sequencing and about further sanctions. But there's already been an invasion. And there's clearly concern across the House that his strategy, I accept unintentionally, could send the wrong message. So, so if the Prime Minister... If the Prime Minister, if the Prime Minister now brings forward his full package of sanctions, including excluding Russia from financial mechanisms like SWIFT and a ban on trading in Russian sovereign debt, he will have the full support of the House. Will he do so? Uh, I'm grateful. Mr Speaker, I think, I think yesterday, and I'm grateful, by the way, uh, for the general support uh, that the opposition have given, uh, not just to our economic sanctions, but also uh, to the package of, of military support, which will, as I have said, intensify. What we want to see, Mr Speaker, is de-escalation uh, by Vladimir Putin. There's still, there's still hope that he will, uh, that he will see sense, uh, but we, will, we are ready uh, very rapidly uh, to escalate our sanctions, as I have, as I have, as I have set out. And under the measures that uh, this House has already approved, and uh, that we can now target, Mr. Speaker, any Russian uh, entity, any Russian individual, uh, we can already target not just the breakaway republics, uh, the so-called the so-called breakaway republics in the oblasts of uh, Donetsk and Lugansk. We can target members of the Duma who voted to recognise them. This is the most far-reaching piece of legislation of its kind, and I'm glad that it has his support. Keir Starmer. was a sort of repeat of the first exchange, really. That Keir Starmer is clearly trying to show support, but asking the, the fundamental question, of, oh, as he did in the first time, if not now, then when? Yes, and moving on to some slightly more tricky subjects, like um, uh, the, the one thing that people say that they think would really have an effect is to kick Russia out of this SWIFT system, which is a slightly obscure thing that is effectively the sort of uh, the veins and uh, and arteries of the financial system in the world, and if you kick them out of it, it's very difficult for them to do financial transactions anywhere. Um, I think there's some disagreement both here and uh, between allies about whether that's a step too far. Um, um, I think uh, some of those European countries are reluctant to see that. Um, but, you know, Starmer pushing things a bit further. Um, and interesting, though, from Boris Johnson as well, wasn't it? Um, he spends a lot of time having a pop at Starmer and uh, accusing him of sort of being opportunist and Captain Hindsight and all the rest of it, but uh, making a point of saying thanks for your general support. Um, <laughs> one wonders if at some point uh, we'll get to... General, your general support general, is not general enough. <laughs> general support slightly more senior than Captain Hindsight, I think. Yes, indeed. <laughs> several ranks above. Uh, several ranks above. Um, uh, but the, the, there does seem to be this fundamental question of what is the purpose of these sanctions to just punish Putin for what he is doing or is it with the hope of getting him to step back from the brink? And it's, it strikes me that it might be a triumph of uh, a hope over... Uh, anything else that, that they think that the Putin might, having now embarked on this, now step back. Yeah, I think, it, I mean, it's it's sort of odd because on the one hand you have Liz Truss, the Foreign Secretary, on the radio this morning saying she's convinced that 
Putin is hell-bent on invading, well, why aren't we seeking to deter with, with, with a bigger stick in that case? Others say, well, look, we need to calibrate this. Um, and if he does invade fully, then we do, you know, if you've got nothing left in your locker at that point, then you can't sort of um, add to the punishment. Um, it's, you know, people who understand Putin and say the only language he understands is force is, um, uh, you know, they'd be hard pushed to say that um, he's had um, enough pain yet. Uh, but to point out, Ben Wallace, the Defence Secretary, has been caught uh, with some unguarded comments. He was chatting with serving military personnel at the Horse Guards building in Westminster. He's a former member of the Scots Guards, uh, of course. He said, it's going to be a busy army. Unfortunately, we've got a busy adversary now in Putin who's gone full tonto. He said the UK has a 1,000 personnel on standby to respond to the crisis, adding the Scots Guards kicked the backside of Tsar Nicholas I in 1853 in Crimea. We can always do it again. Tsar Nicholas I made the same mistake Putin did. He had no friends or alliances. Uh, and uh, he apparently also described uh, Putin as being in an illogical and irrational frame of mind. So that's clearly what, um, yeah, some unguarded comments, Ben Wallace. Well, a lot of Ben Wallace's unguarded comments are often on the record as well. Yes, so, exactly. Um, these may well be genuinely unguarded comments, um, but they certainly contribute to the picture that so he's been trying picture. to paint. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Right, let's go back to so question number three then from Keir Starmer. It does have my support, and if it's used, we will support it. Um, we must also do more to defeat Putin's campaign of lies and disinformation. Russia today is his personal propaganda tool. I can see no reason why it should be allowed to continue to broadcast in this country. So will the Prime Minister now ask Ofcom to review its licence? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I believe that my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Culture, Media and Sport, has already uh, asked Ofcom to review uh, that matter. But... But what I will say, Mr Speaker, is that, is that we live in a, in a democracy, Mr Speaker, and we live in a, a country that believes in, in free speech. And uh, I think it's important that we should leave it up to Ofcom rather than to politicians to decide which media organisations are to ban. That's what Russia does. Well, that's a bit of inter uh, interesting uh, development. Uh, Boris Johnson has asked uh, the Dean Doris, the Culture Secretary, to review... Uh, the um, operation of uh, of Russia, uh, Russia Today in the UK. Yeah, and again, a significant one for Starmer because Russia Today was a channel on which Jeremy Corbyn and some of his closest friends used to like to go and uh, spread their uh, foreign policy views. Um, so that's quite a symbolic moment. And Starmer's been banging away about Russia Today for a day or two. Um, but interesting that Johnson, whose instincts are fairly libertarian, um, is sort of uncomfortable with um, with the government uh, intervening uh, in that way. Um, some people at the BBC might um, think that uh, Tory ministers might be show themselves more reluctant to criticise the BBC's coverage sometimes um, the, if they uh, were genuinely of that view. The but, history of Russia today is fascinating. Boris Johnson back in, uh, when was this? This was uh, 2017 when he was Foreign Secretary, criticised Russia today, said so it was an absolute scandal uh, that Labour MPs would, uh, were continuing to appear on it. Uh, to validate and legitimate that kind of propaganda by going on Russia Today. Uh, but that was just after his own father, Stanley, I think, had also appeared on it. So various people have... Uh, Making what can only be described as unguarded comments, unguarded I presume. Unguarded comments, I think. I think he was also promoting a novel. Uh, but there we are. The fact that, uh, yeah, as we discussed, Keir Starmer managing to sort of have a... 
basically, that's a, that's a bit of a chart. Yeah, that's a, that's a win for Keir Stommy to be bang on about Russia today. Boris Johnson has now done something about it, uh, and he's managed to needle, you know, Jeremy Corbyn in the process. Yeah. Uh, right, very good. Uh, question number four, then, Keir Stommy. The request was for a review, and I'm very glad to hear that that review is now happening. And, I, and I'm not... I'm, Mr Speaker, I'm not going to be deflected from the unity that this House needs just at the moment. At the week... At the week... At the weekend, the Prime Minister said that if Russia invades Ukraine, he will open up the matryoshka dolls of Russian-owned companies and Russian-owned entities to find the ultimate beneficiaries within. Well, Russia has invaded. And it's time to act. If the Prime Minister brings forward the required legislation to do this, he will have Labour's support. So will he commit to do so in the coming days? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, we are, we are as, I, as I said, uh, bringing forward in the next wave of sanctions measures that will stop all Russian banks, all oligarchs, all uh, Russian individuals raising money on, uh, on London uh, markets. And uh, we are also accelerating, uh, Mr Speaker, the Economic Crime Bill, which will enable us in the UK to peel back the in the next session, Mr Speaker, to peel back the facade, to peel back the facade of beneficial ownership of, of property in, uh, in, in the UK and of companies. It's gone on for far too long. Uh, we are going to tackle it under this government, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, but on all these measures, I think it is very, very important uh, that the House remembers they are more effective when all financial centres move forward together. And that is, that is what the UK has been organising. But so much, much the same was, um, answers we put, got, probably got to questions one and two. But this plan to, to ban all Russian banks, all oligarchs from raising money on London markets, that is quite a big deal, isn't it? Well, it would be a big deal, it, yes. Um, it, were it to w- happen. Were it to happen. Um, you wonder whether that's Boris Johnson using a little artistic licence. I mean, speaking to ministers, it's quite difficult to define who are good oligarchs and who are bad oligarchs and if you start banning any oligarch who happens to live here from raising money they'll say that well we're a persecuted person who fled Vladimir Putin yes there are, indeed, there are some people some of those people who give money to the Conservative Party say that they are you know they've fled Putin's terror to come and live in Britain and, and the reason you... they're here is because they yeah. aren't safe in Russia and that they brought their money here and that's why they want to invest it and yeah. all of that which and is very some different. of those people are not believed but at the same time it's quite difficult to to draw up rules that that catch you know he's effectively saying he's that you know he's promised to catch everybody there, uh, that seems a little um, optimistic. Um, and again, you know, on the timing of you know this uh, beneficial um, ownership of companies stuff, which is about working out who is really hiding behind multiple front companies. Um, you know, they're talking about the next session of Parliament, which isn't going to be till you know later this year at the earliest. And um, by the time the legislation's in place, you're presumably talking well into next year. Um, so that again is not sort of the immediate. Um, it's not that's what's happening, happening no. right now. Yeah. Uh, right, uh, we go back to the House of Commons. Question number five from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, I think I heard the Prime Minister say that the Economic Crime Bill will be in the next session. I, I, I hope I misheard that. But I can assure him, if he brings it forward in this session, in coming days, it will have our support. There's no reason to delay this. Let me also turn to the Elections Bill. As it stands, the bill would allow unfettered donations from overseas to be made to UK political parties from shell companies and individuals with no connections to the UK. 
Labour has proposed amendments to protect our democracy from the flood of foreign money drowning our politics. We can all now see how serious this is. So will the Prime Minister now change course and support these measures in the House of Lords? Mr Speaker, we have very tough laws, tough rules in this country uh, to stop foreign donations. Uh, we don't accept, uh, we don't accept foreign uh, donations. You have to be on the, on the register of uh, the UK Electoral Register to give uh, to a UK political party. And uh, before he starts chucking it around, Mr Speaker, I just remind him his, the largest single corporate donation uh, to the Labour Party came from a member of the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, it's not a bad comeback, is it? No, it's a good comeback. They, interestingly, Starmer was the one in the previous round saying, I do not wish to shatter the, yeah. uh, you know, the unity of the House, and Boris Johnson has finally had enough for these. And the, uh, the Chinese donor, we should point out, that was money to, the, uh, to Barry Gardner, but she also gave money to Conservatives. Yeah, she did. She seems to have favoured Barry Gardner with quite a lot of money, um, something that perplexes his colleagues, I think it's fair to say. I think that is probably uh, uh, fair to say. I mean, the, 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 the issue of Russian money and the Conservative Party comes up all the time. It's one of the things people keep messaging and in and tweeting. and te- How serious an issue is it, do you think, for the Conservative Party? Well, it's becoming a, quite a problem, isn't it? Because um, it's one of those things that's quite complicated for the reasons I was saying a moment ago. But it's cuts through to the public and they can smell that it feels a bit dodgy. Um, and even if, you know, all of these people are exemplary people who've fled uh, Vladimir Putin um, and his tyranny, um, it doesn't look terribly good in the current context, and particularly when the Prime Minister is, you know, uh, throwing around a lot of words about cracking down on all of this. Well, you know, um, these things can begin at home, can't they? And especially we had a separate development this week, but the Electoral Commission wrote to Michael Gove saying they weren't happy with the elections bill that was going through Parliament because it gave ministers the opportunity to interfere in the way that the elections watchdog um, operated. Interesting point that's been made on Twitter from uh, Alex about the Rush of the Day, uh, the idea of reviewing Rush of the Day operating in the UK. Uh, he's, uh, Alex says, stripping RT of its broadcasting licence in the UK would be a mistake. Almost certainly the immediate response from Russia would be to throw out the BBC. That would be a huge blow, not worth it for the limited impact RT has in the UK. And I suspect there are far more there are far more viewers watching them d- discussing Russia Today in the comments than there are people actually watching uh, Russia Today. Um, but anyway, there we go. Uh, let's go back for uh, the last question from Keir Starmer on PMQ's Unpacked. Let us know what you think of it so far on the YouTube channel. Uh, go to YouTube, search Times Radio. You can see you can see Tim and I in all our glory uh, as we watch uh, the last question from Keir Starmer. No, Mr Speaker. At at this moment, as the House agreed yesterday, we have to stand united. And I'm not going to be deflected from that. I know the Prime Minister, the Prime Minister did not agree to change the elections bill. I think that's a mistake, and I ask him to take it away and look at it again, those amendments in the Lords. Putin has invaded a sovereign European nation. He is attacked because he fears openness and democracy, and because he knows that, given a choice, people will not choose to live under erratic, violent rule. He seeks division. We must stay united. He hopes for inaction, so we must take a stand. 
He believes that we're too corrupted to do the right thing. So we must prove him wrong. And I believe that we can. So will the Prime Minister work across the House to ensure that this is the end of the era of oligarch impunity by saying that this House and this country will no longer be homes for their loot? Mr Speaker, I don't think any government could conceivably be doing more to root out corrupt Russian money. And that is, and that is, what, uh, that is what we are going to do. And, and I think we can be proud of what we've already done and of the measures that we have set up. And I'm, and Mr Speaker, I'm genuinely grateful uh, for the tone of his last question and for the support, and for the support uh, he has given. And he is right that it is absolutely vital that we in the UK should stand united. And people around the world can see that the UK was the first to call out what President Putin was doing uh, in uh, Ukraine. Uh, We've been instrumental in bringing the world together, the Western world together, in lockstep to deal with the the problem, uh, to bring together the economic package of sanctions that I I have set out. And, Mr Speaker, there is still time for President Putin, as I've said, to de-escalate. But what is at stake, be in absolutely no doubt, is not just the democracy of Ukraine, but the principle of democracy around the world. And that is why the unity of this House is so important today, and it is absolutely vital that the United Kingdom stands uh, together against aggression in Ukraine. And I am grateful for the the broad support that we have had today from the Leader of the Opposition. There we are. That brings us to the end of uh, of the of the main exchanges. Quite a mixed view on uh, on the YouTube channel. Glenn says Keir Starmer has gone from Captain Hindsight to Captain Irrelevance. Uh, then uh, H says the man who aspires to be Churchill sounding more like Chamberlain. Starmer is utterly fake, says someone else. Boris, go have another party. Tim says uh, actually, I think Starmer is doing quite well. Uh, and then Pat says, Starmer is a decent morally sound leader compared to Johnson. He is outstanding. What's your take, Tim Schiller? Well, I think, you know, at the end it was sort of, and we all lived happily ever after, um, which is not necessarily how you want PMPs to end <laughs> if you're, you like the barbarian bear pit as I do. No, I think that was a perfectly good professional job by Starmer. Uh, I doubt people are going to be uh, yelling, what do we want, the end of the era of oligarch impunity, when do we want it, yesterday. Um in, but it was, within this parliamentary session, I think. But, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, quite. Um, before the Queen's speech. Um, and Johnson sort of uh, managed to sound um, uh, vaguely statesmanlike at the end there. Um, yeah, I mean, Starmer had a decent outing. Uh, Johnson had a couple of good uh, bashes back and got across the view uh, that, you know, he wants to move with allies. Um but it's not going to change the price of fish in Doncaster, is it? One of the things that I, I sort of expected Keir Starmer to do was maybe do... It, essentially, he could have boiled those six de- questions maybe down to three and then maybe go on to sort of the real-world uh, aspect of it. Um, Boris Johnson said yesterday there was a risk that the Russian invasion of Ukraine would lead to a spike in energy bills and petrol prices. And I just wondered whether trying to reflect back on the impact of this on the cost of living might have been part of... I suppose it, it, I think it doesn't my, totally fit with Keir Starmer's. We're all no, I think, and I think that's probably what they decided. I think they probably thought about that. Um, they could have done, you know, was it a more combative session? They could have done some cost of living stuff. Uh, they could equally have gone a bit poppier by talking about whether the um, uh, Champions League final should be in St Petersburg and try and get the, the government uh, on the record on that. Um, but I think 
what Starmer wanted out of this was that message that he twice came out with, which is that we are sexually standing behind you. He doesn't want any excuse for the government to say uh, that the Labour Party is back to its old Corbynite ways. Um, and strategically, I think that was probably the right decision. It might have made for a slightly less exciting tactical PMQs today, but um, the message that will go out um, is one uh, that is strategically useful for Labour. And if that cuts through with the public, that they're being sort of broadly supportive about standing up to uh, uh, to Russia. Um, you know, and it's hard to sort of overestimate what a change the Corbyn lot were on that front. You know, literally standing there briefing journalists that we should send Novichok to, to Mr Putin to see if it was his or not. And, you know, I mean, it was just absolutely bizarre um and you see it all over twitter in the last 48 hours people who genuinely have not a good word to say about the west about nato who are desperate for everybody just to cave in and let vladimir putin do what he wants and these people you know came within a few thousand votes of running this country it's uh, it's pretty astonishing really That's all we've got time for on today's episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And you can listen via the Times Radio app. Catch me Monday to Friday, 10 to 1, live on Times Radio. And if you want to come on and play the hugely popular quiz, Can You Get to Number 10, email me your details, matt.chorley at times.radio, and we'll get you on very soon. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.